Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Happy New Year. This is Football Social Daily. If your New Year's resolution was to keep up to date with the biggest news and latest events in the Premier League, well, you come to the right place. We've got you back every day of the Premier League season with a brand new podcast. It's not been such a happy new year for a few key figures in the English top flight. Ralph Rannick overseeing an end to an impressive run for his Manchester United team when it comes to playing Wolves on home territory. They were beaten 1-0 last night at Old Trafford, but there seems to be more problems at the club than just three points dropped. It doesn't look too great at Chelsea right now either with Thomas Tuchel and Romelu Lukaku at loggerheads about the striker's role and future in London. The latest developments on that saga shortly on the podcast. Plus, the transfer window is now open. So we take a look at a few stories of interest there, including some potential deals for West Ham, for Newcastle and for Everton. I'm Jim Salverson and Niall McCorn is on today's podcast. How are you doing, Niall? I'm good. Happy New Year, gents. Good to be back. Happy New Year. Any New Year's resolutions for you? Uh, well, a little I... bit less hating on Southampton, maybe? No, no, no. More hating. That's my resolution. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, I've got one of those, you know, those sort of old school 50s looking um, notice boards you get. I've got one of those in my house and my New Year's resolution from last year is still on there. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, You haven't done it? Uh, no, I have done it. My New Year's resolution for last year was to drink more water. Um, which I have managed to do, but it was a very, very simple and basic New Year's resolution because that's about the extent of my willpower, I think. Yeah, it doesn't seem particularly uh, tangible either, like more water. How much did you drink in 2020? Very little. <laughs> OK, uh, so alongside him, promising to dr- breathe more air probably in 2022, <laughs> Marley Anderson. How you doing, Marley? Yeah, good. Not too bad. Happy New Year, guys. Um, yeah, I'm going to set a very simple one. Just keep getting dressed in 2022. Um, that's <laughs> yeah. my resolution. Um, <laughs> maybe slightly less less hate or something like that. Once we get back into the office, I really hope that does continue the whole getting dressed thing because nobody <laughs> needs a naked Marley Anderson walking around. That's when I'm going to have to up my game. <laughs> right, let's go on with today's podcast. We're going to start at Manchester United. They lost 1-0 to Wolverhampton Wanderers last night at Old Trafford. First time Wolves have won at Old Trafford since the 80s, although it is Ralph Rangnick's first defeat as Manchester United boss. I guess the talking points here are more around Manchester United than they are the game itself, because it was Rangnick's first defeat as Manchester United boss, Niall. But has he made any real impact so far? Have we seen any developments as he's come to the club compared to what Solskjaer was doing? Would we have seen any difference if Solskjaer had still been in charge? I think this can be split down the middle. I think in terms of results... No, even though that was his first defeat since taking charge of the club a few weeks ago, there have still been some poor results since Rangnick's taken charge. But in terms of the style of play, I think yes. I think yes, particularly the first half against Crystal Palace. You saw that the first half against Burnley. You saw that. But much like Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there seems to be this Jekyll and Hyde nature to the way they play. 
against Newcastle, you know, Newcastle were uh, more than a match for Manchester United in that game just after Christmas. It finished 1-1. Newcastle were unlucky probably not to win. And Manchester United would have gone into that game expecting to beat Newcastle, considering they're in the bottom three. And then against Burnley, the next game after that, Manchester United blow another relegation candidate in Burnley, completely off the park in the first half an hour. Scott McTominay's playing like a man possessed in the middle of the park. And Manchester United fans are, you know, out of their seats at Old Trafford thinking, right, OK, here we go. This is what we want to see from Ralph Rangnick. And much like even a couple of games ago against Crystal Palace, like I mentioned, the first half there against Crystal Palace was was excellent. And that was a, a really good win. And, and Fred was brilliant on that day. But that's the problem. And I use that term Jekyll and Hyde because that's how it feels. You have one good performance from Manchester United and then in the next game, they just they just look all at sea. I don't want to say they look disinterested because I don't think that's fair, but they just look completely zoned out, spaced out at times as if they're not quite sure what they're trying to do. And I think it's important to stress that a manager coming in um, to a club the size of Manchester United, to a new league, trying to implement some styles and methods it is always going to take a little bit of time, but it's must be frustrating for United supporters to see a performance at Old Trafford against Burnley like the one they did to end 2021 and then the first game of the new year they stink the place out against Wolves Uh, it must be so frustrating to be a Manchester United fan and see that so I think in terms of Rangnick has he made any difference I think yes he has because we didn't see that sort of pressing like we saw against Crystal Palace and um, that sort of style against Burnley. We didn't see that under Solskjaer, at least not as much as we're seeing now. But in terms of results, they've lost to Wolves, they drew with Newcastle, they beat Burnley, they beat Palace, they scraped past Norwich. So although they've been unbeaten, I think for 10 games, is it up till yesterday? I still think that there is that element of flakiness to Manchester United, which is, is disappointing for supporters. So I think the answer to that question is a very stern yes and no on the fence Um, I think yes in some parts but no in others and you know I guess you could say well what's the point of changing the style of play if the results remain the same is is the whole point not to to win more matches and and yeah fundamentally football is about that but I mean we could argue the same with Graham Potter at Brighton you know his Brighton side aside from this season have finished a touch above the relegation zone for the last three or four years since Chris Hewton got the sack and actually they've not improved in position at all Um, but yet they've improved in style of play and that kind of eases the supporters' concerns a little bit. I mean, even with with Marley's team, Newcastle United, people will argue that Steve Bruce and Rafa Benitez amassed the same amount of points, but it never felt comfortable under Steve Bruce and it felt far more comfortable under Rafa. So I suppose there's an element of that to it as well, but I think Rangnick has made changes. I think it's too early to tell in earnest whether they're effective or not, but certainly uh, the results are not quite what United need and you know, that was a poor one for them last night. I've lost count of the amount of full storms that Manchester United have had. It seems to happen again and again and again repeatedly for the last six years. But the big talking point, I guess, from last night's game was that Luke Shaw post-match interview, which seemed to paraphrase everything the fans were thinking. In the interview he gave to Sky Sports straight after the game, he questioned the work ethic of the team. He suggested that the manager needs to come up with some ideas to solve the problem and said... Importantly for me, that everyone on the team in the dressing room wasn't pulling in the same direction. What do you make of the comments, Marley? Do you think it shows pretty clearly that there are some big issues that need to be addressed in that Manchester United dressing room at the moment? Yeah, I think it um, it does sum up that that there've been um, deeper issues at Man United. Um, it doesn't really doesn't matter as much about the tactics um, when. You know, as he alluded to there, you know, there's there's things going on there's the, that they're not pulling in the same direction. It's a weird quote to have because I'm pretty sure that players don't mean it in terms of like, you know, we all hate each other type of thing. But that's how it always comes across. It comes across like there's divisions in the squad. And it's very easy for the press to go, well, this was a terrible interview. This is an absolute binfire of an interview. And that's what everybody does. Um, and that's, that's why we're talking about it now because... It's strange that he comes out with these quotes. He's never, um, he's, he's never sort of come across as the the brightest sort of uh, light in the lamp sort of thing. Because you know he doesn't do many interviews. Luke Shaw, I can't remember too many times he's he, I've heard him speak. If I'm honest, and then he comes out and he says all this, and you know we need we need to give hundred percent and stuff like that. Like we all need to be hundred percent committed. Like why aren't you? You you you're professional footballers. You've been at Man United for years. 
You know, you can't rest on your laurels and, and beat teams because you're Man United at Old Trafford. That That's not how it works. Like, if teams come with a game plan and they're brave enough like Wolves were, and Wolves were brilliant last night. They were absolutely excellent. They passed Man United off the park, controlled the game from start to finish. There wasn't really a spell, I don't think, that, that Man United were in the game and, and looked like getting something. Um, and Bruno Fernandes hitting the bar after 65, 66 minutes, something like that, uh, just summed up how where this game was going to go. If you were a betting man, you should have lumped your money on Wolves winning it from the moment that uh, tap-in crashed off the crossbar because it, it felt inevitable to me that there was a winner coming um, from Wolves because they were still trying to win the game at any, any given opportunity. And that's that's ultimately what happened. But you know, then everybody's on a downer and then Luke Shaw comes out and says this and it's... You know, it's it sticks up for Phil Jones, which is fine. But then, you know, before that, he'd already gone on to sort of sow the seeds of doubt um, that uh, that you're saying, you know, trigger words like you know this isn't uh, this isn't working. You know, the motivation and stuff, the intensity is not there. Uh, we struggled all this. I didn't think we were all there together. These are huge red flags um, when you're ten ish games into a new manager's reign. Um, especially when it was ultimately the reason why the last manager got sacked. Like these issues should be gone. Um, and if the new manager can't get out, can't get those issues out in ten games or maybe more, then it's a real big problem because you've got to then address this problem again in the summer by getting another new manager and saying, "Hey, look, you know, there's a there's a quite a big problem here." Um, what are you prop? What are you? Uh, what are you going to do about it? Sort of thing. I mean, there were things said by Luke Shaw, and as the f- as a fan of a team, there are things he said that you never want to hear your players saying. But I think there are also good things in there because he was clearly hurting, and he was clearly frustrated by what had just happened on the pitch. And you kind of want that from your players. You want them to be disappointed and upset when they lose games. And some of the things that he said really rang true to me as well, Niall. The fact that. Manchester United lacked intensity. The fact that Manchester United lacked passion, that kind of sums up the team for me right now. Is that kind of their main problem? It's what they need to get back somehow. They need to get back that intensity and that passion and that desire to win, which not everyone seems to have at the moment. I think that's a fair comment to make. And, you know, as you say, it's sometimes words that supporters don't want to hear. But I think nowadays supporters can be quite refreshed by the honesty of players we all too often hear in post-match interviews, almost like rent-a-quote sound bites. Oh, the fans are amazing today. The boys did well. Happy with the three points. Delight to get on the score sheet. It's boring. And although it's not what fans want to hear, for Luke Shaw to come out and say what he said, I think shows a, a degree of honesty which the fans will respect. And, you know, some pundits, I think Gary Neville is the one who speaks the most vocally on this. Some pundits always say the fans aren't idiots. You can't fool the supporters, especially people that have been watching football for decades, that have been going to the same stadium, watching the same team for a large portion of their life. They're not idiots. You know, they know exactly what they see. They know what they're watching. And they saw a performance that was devoid of any real intensity. And I think that's the key word because Ralph Rangnick, when he came in, we were all talking about how the intensity is going to ramp up more than a couple of notches for these Manchester United players. And it's about how they'll adapt to it. The training will be more rigorous. And that is the hallmark, really, the blueprint of how Ralph Rangnick likes to play. It's intense pressure on the ball, high up the pitch. And we didn't see that. The midfield of Wolves, as Marley's already pointed out, completely dictated the tempo of the game. 15 shots in the first half, 60% of the ball. Manchester United were on the back foot and they controlled the tempo of the game. You know, those two Wolves midfielders were completely in control of the match the tempo and the rhythm of the game in Wolves' favour and it was in Wolves' favour for the entire 90 minutes aside from around about a 15-minute spell in the second half where Rangnick changed to a back three, I think it was, and then United hit the crossbar but they couldn't find a way through and then Wolves pushed and eventually got the winner. So I definitely think that with what Luke Shaw's saying, you have to say that if that's coming from someone who's got experience, he's been at Manchester United a long time now, I think seven, eight years he's been there now, He's been a, a leader in the dressing room in recent seasons due to his performances. Hasn't quite been as good this year. But for him to be almost a stalwart of this Manchester United team and come out and say that, I think that that is, that is of concern. But also it shows an element of responsibility and an element of understanding that these players know exactly what they need to do. In the pre-match press conference, Rangnick was talking about Martial and how he's able to leave the club. He hasn't been picked in 
match day squads recently, so we could see him leave either in January or in the summer. It doesn't look like he'll be playing many games in the future, but it's one of those things where the old Manchester United teams that you speak of, Jim, they were built off of a foundation of a manager who would not settle for anything less than 100%. Now, some of these players, um, you'd have to suggest, aren't quite in that bracket. So um, as much as it's disappointing, um, Solskjaer did manage to finish second with this group of players last season, and they're actually a better squad now than they were then. So something's gone wrong somewhere and it's up to Manchester United and Ralph Rangnick to figure that out because these players are underperforming and they should be doing far better than they are. I guess it just highlights the need for recruiting personalities that fit a football club as well as ability when it comes to players. You need a a group of players that gel together and have similar goals and similar aspirations. But to turn to Wolves for a second, you've both given them credit. They've had two weeks off going into this game for various covid based reasons be it the opposition testing positive or their players testing positive do we think that gave them a little bit of an edge last night in terms of intensity and are we going to see that happening again and again with these teams that are a lot of teams have had a really intense christmas new year period they won't have had those games cancelled or those breaks but there have been teams that have benefited from that so over the next few weeks are we going to see some teams taking advantage of that slightly more rest bite than others have had do you think Niall? Maybe but I think it's hard to tell because Marley will tell you that game against Newcastle United that Manchester United had they hadn't played for 16 days before that and they looked rusty and Newcastle were all over them for a spell and you know Wolves come into this game at Old Trafford having not played in 15 days and they're all over Manchester United so it's impossible to really figure out which way it swings you know does it swing towards we haven't played in two weeks we're rusty or we haven't played in two weeks we're fresh I think there are examples for both and it will come back to bite the teams who have had those rest periods as well because they still have to play those games at some point so they're just going to end up finding fixture congestion elsewhere so it probably it swings and roundabouts isn't it it weighs both ways finally Marley on Wolves up to eighth now now, they probably wouldn't have chosen to lose Nuno Espirito Sanchez when he went off to Spurs but given the job that Bruno Large has done at Wolves, they appear to be making progress. I think they probably will have taken how things have panned out over um, when they when they look back at the scenarios and managers leaving and managers coming, won't they? Yeah, I think, um, I think ultimately in the end when Nuno Espirito Santo left, um, it was it had gone a bit stale at Wolves. I think they'd, they'd certainly hit a ceiling, um, finishing seventh back-to-back in the first two years. Back in the Premier League, that was uh, a huge achievement, which is always really hard to to continue with, especially when you're doing the same tactics, the same players. They didn't sign a massive amount of players, um, so it didn't really get fresher at, at any real point. Um, so it did feel like towards the end, when they were slipping sort of lower and into the bottom half, it it felt like his 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 course had been run, sort of thing. And you know, thank you for for everything, but now it's time to try something different. And ever since that's happened, um, and Bruno Large has come in, I think just that like freshness to the to the team has been way better because he's kept the same system, but he signed different players. Um, there's a slightly different approach. There's more. It's more attack based. Um, I think they're scoring more goals. They're they're playing better football, um, and it looks it looks good for Wolves. I think they're going under the under the radar a lot because. It's kind of like oh, it's just it's just wolves. Like they'll just do what they always do, and you know they'll they'll win one, then they'll lose one, then they'll draw one, they'll end up in mid table. But they don't. Um, they're not. They sort of drew a lot of games towards the start of the season, but then they picked up a few wins and ended up in fifth or sixth for a few weeks. And then even now, you know, twenty odd games in, they're they're still comfortably in the top half, and they're comfortably in that race for the top uh, the top six or seven, which is enough to get you into one of the uh, Europa competitions next year and that's still pretty big for someone like Wolves who who want to build their their club on a world a world stage if they can get into something like that and and go on and uh and make an impression in it next year because it only helps the sort of status of the club so I think they're doing doing really well and they they fully deserved the three points last night um I'm glad they got it in the end because I think it would have been um forgotten about very quickly how how well Wolves played if it had ended as a nil-nil draw, or Man United had snatched a, a late equaliser because Wolves fully deserved it, and I'm uh, I'm pretty glad they got it in the end. 
Things on the up for Wolverhampton Wanderers right now. Same can't be said for Manchester United, but it's not just Luke Shaw who's giving club troubling interviews at the moment. It's Romelu Lukaku as well, who's questioned his own future at Chelsea Football Club. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to talk about Romelu Lukaku, Thomas Tuchel, and Chelsea now because Romelu Lukaku has reportedly had clear the air talks with the Chelsea boss yesterday after an interview he gave to Sky Sports a couple of days ago. Well, actually, no, he didn't give the interview a couple of days ago. He gave the interview when he wasn't in the team. So he gave an interview with Sky Sports, published recently. He questioned his own future at the club. After the interview was published, he was dropped from the Chelsea squad for the Liverpool game, which Chelsea went on to draw 2-2. But now, reportedly, he's happy to stay. And Thomas Tuchel is happy for him to stay after these clear-the-air talks that happened yesterday. So let's start with the original interview, I think, here. It was conducted, as I said, when Lukaku was out of the team. He'd struggled with a few injuries. He suggested that Thomas Tuchel was playing a system that didn't suit him. Do you think the comments he made at that stage, Niall, were misjudged? Well, to be honest, it's not a lot shocks me in football anymore. And this probably shouldn't have shocked me, but I was pretty surprised when I saw this interview with Romelu Lukaku. In fact, I think most of most of the Premier League population saw it on social media. Uh, Fabrizio Romano, who's a renowned transfer expert, was tweeting out these quotes from an interview that Lukaku did with Sky Sports in Italy. And he was almost lamenting ever leaving Inter Milan. He's only been there four months and Chelsea paid £95 million for him. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And yes, he's been injured, but for, for then... Lukaku to say that the manager is wrong for playing him in the wrong system and he should have stayed at Inter Milan, that is, that's disrespectful to your current employers. And I want to be really careful how I talk about this because in the summer, Harry Kane did an interview with Gary Neville on a golf course, which was videoed. It was an hour long. They had a wander around a golf course and Harry Kane basically laid out on the table his desire to leave Tottenham. And I think the season was still just about going on or it might have been the end of the season at that point I can't quite remember but he was still a Tottenham player and a lot of people were saying that it's completely disrespectful and unprofessional from Harry Kane Um, but I think it's slightly different when you do an interview at the end of a season than mid-season heading into one of the busiest periods of periods of the calendar Um, and Thomas Tuchel did the right thing by dropping Lukaku he did completely did the right thing by dropping Lukaku in the last game and if you look at Chelsea's fixtures They've got three games against Tottenham, one of their big London rivals this month, two in the League Cup and then a Premier League game. And they've also got Manchester City. Now, say what you want about Lukaku and and the interview he's given, but I think a lot of Chelsea fans and a lot of football fans would rather have Lukaku in their team than not. And with a massive month coming up, and then it's the Club World Cup for Chelsea at the start of February as well, they need Lukaku. They need him. And I think that that is a position that the player has found himself in where he almost feels like he knows that they need him. And so he can get away with saying this sort of thing. I don't think it's right what he said. I think he needs to come out and apologise. I think that's essential. But I think it's really thrown um, his teammates under the bus. Because how can you defend a, a teammate of yours who's been completely undermining the manager and undermining the team in general? He had to sit out of the game. Um, If he had played, I think that would have shown um, a real poor management from Thomas Tuchel. And, you know, the manager has to be the most important and powerful person at a football club. And Romelu Lukaku has has completely undermined Thomas Tuchel. And I think Tuchel's dealt with it really well because he said in the post-match interviews, he says, well, we'll have a discussion and we'll see what happens. And leaving him out of that game is the right thing to do. But, you know, it wasn't a great interview. Um, these things can always be misquoted and mistranslated when they're done in a, a different language. But um, it sounded like he was regretting leaving Inter Milan. And that's something you say in a summer when you're trying to get a move or at the end of a contract. Um, and now in the back pages, Jim, he's been linked with a move to Tottenham, which <laughs> would be remarkable considering Antonio Conte is the manager there. Um, and what 
what what happens then? You know, is there a Harry Kane Lukaku swap deal on the cards? Oh, it's opened so many questions that I don't want to go into. Um, not that I agree with all of the answers to them, but certainly um, I, I was surprised about this with Lukaku. And um, if he doesn't play a game for a couple of weeks, I wouldn't be shocked. But also, I, I equally wouldn't be surprised if he comes straight back into the team because with these three big games against Tottenham, one of which is a semi-final, they need him. So it's a real tough one for Thomas Tuchel to deal with. And Lukaku has completely thrown his teammates and his manager under the bus with what he said. The suggestion is he will come back for the Caribou Cup game against Spurs on Wednesday. And I think context is important here because when you look and I've not watched the full interview, I don't even know if it's available or even if it's in Italian, but certainly if you read the excerpts in full compared to what was tweeted out, as you mentioned, um, the, the context is slightly different, but there is some weird bits in that interview, kind of regretting leaving Inter Milan, as you say, Niall was a little bit strange, questioning the manager's choices was a little bit strange. And I thought one of the things that was... Most strange, Marley, was the irony of claiming you're going to stay professional and stay committed whilst also suggesting in an interview that you might want to leave the club. Well, yeah, nail on the head there. I think, you know, he's the whole, it was an absolute car crash of an interview. Like from start to finish, I, I just thought, you know, I've read pretty much all the quotes um, to see if, like, I always do this when, when, quotes are highlighted because they're, they're often taken out of context and you read the full thing and it's not it's not like that but it wasn't like that with this it this the whole thing was an absolute mess you know saying about oh Lataro Martinez don't come to Chelsea because one day I might be back at Inter that's a that's a massive you know kick in the balls for Chelsea um saying that uh the manager's playing him in the wrong system saying that he's not in the team I don't even agree with both of them things because I don't think Lukaku's been out of the team, has he? Am I missing something with that? Because the only time he's been out of the team is when he was injured. So he played. He he demanded to play against Malmo in a Champions League game because he was on a goal drought, ended up getting booted in the ankle and out for six weeks. That's the only time he's been out for, for Chelsea, I think. I don't think he's been dropped. Um, mm. He might have been rotated for two games in a week, but uh, I don't think he's been dropped. So I don't know what he's talking about there. Um, the and he system... scored goals at the start of the season as well, Marley. It wasn't like he hasn't scored a goal for Chelsea since he's been yeah. there. I mean, he scored a good goal against Arsenal. He's, he started the season off well. He's come yeah. back into the team, scored against Villa. So it's not like he's been played out of position and hasn't scored. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it at all. It's not like he's tried to turn him into a wing back or something like that. It's bizarre. <laughs> um, I don't get it at all. Um, you know, Christ, imagine him running down the wing though. I wouldn't fancy going shoulder to shoulder with him on a touchline. But never mind. Um, yeah, I just thought it was it was just a complete car crash. Um, very, very disrespectful. I, I don't like players talking out about the current clubs at any point, but I I do agree with what Niall said about him. He sort of he thinks he's he's got that status. He's he's almost like well, if I do say this, this they paid hundred million quid for me, so they're not just going to bin me off. And that is that is arrogance, and I think that has come across a lot in Lukaku's career. The arrogance of of his his personality. Um, there's been reports about him not getting on with with teammates. Apparently, there's a report saying he hasn't uh, he hasn't spoken to Christian Pulisic for about six weeks because he came in on the training ground on one of his first days, first weeks, um, and imitated Pulisic's American accent and talked to him in an American accent. And Pulisic was like, "What the f- what's going on here?" I, you know, that's a bit weird. And then Lukaku just hasn't spoken to him since, apparently. So if those things are true and that arrogance, that whole sort of characteristic of but being arrogant. school playground stuff, isn't it? It's ridiculous, the whole thing. Footballers I mean, aren't adults well, now, though, are they? In general, footballers just seem like spoiled, <laughs> mollycoddled children. That's one of the problems with the game at the moment. I mean, getting off my soapbox for a second it is one of the problems with the games at the moment. <laughs> But if you were a, if you were the manager of Chelsea guys, what would you do? Because I know some managers are, you know, the utmost professionals, and there's no element of bitterness or spitefulness in there. And you don't want to cut your nose off to spite your face, as the old saying goes. Thomas Tuchel knows that he needs to punish Lukaku, so he's left him out. But he also knows that he needs Lukaku, and Lukaku needs knows that as well. And I think that's the issue. But I mean, do you go down the stubborn route if it was you and not play Lukaku again? for the rest of the season and kind of not ruin his career, but you know, his stock goes down because now if he gets left out, he becomes 
uh, a player who's got a reputation for troublemaking hasn't played a game for for six months and then he gets sold in the summer without playing a game Chelsea also don't get as much money for him and they're also not as good so I, I don't know what I would do if I was the manager I think it's well difficult to decide I think Tuchel's handled it well to be honest with you I think he's kind of played his hand expertly in kind of he's acknowledged the fact the interview has happened He's dropped him for a really important game. I'm sure Lukaku would have wanted a feature from. But at the same time, that 2-2 result against Leicester, uh, Liverpool, particularly coming back from 2-0 down, was a really decent result for Chelsea. So they've kind of proved they can play without him. But then they've offered him the lifeline. They've had the chats. They've said, right, you do have a future here, but you mm. need to play properly. And I think also... Would you have shafted him, though, if you were the manager? <laughs> That's no, what I'm no, asking. I don't, I, not for night. I mean, you've spent 98 million quid on him and he's an exceptional player. And we said before we went to Chelsea, he's the player that Chelsea need. And I think we all expected him maybe to make more of an impact than he has done in the early stages because he hasn't scored many of those big goals. He's scored a few, but he hasn't scored many of those big goals, which is something that's been levelled at him time and time again. But I think that this stage now, Lukaku needs to question who is to blame for that. And if it's not going right in his eyes at Chelsea, surely the buck stops at him. It's his responsibility to put that right rather than the manager changing his system. Well, I I th- I actually think he's done he's done all right. He's um he's dropped in for the Liverpool game which was never going to be much of a loss because he doesn't score in big games, so you're not you're not exactly <laughs> you're not exactly losing much there. I also think tactically it's better to play people like Pulisic. Um, against Liverpool because of the high the high line, you need your fast players to get in behind. I think Timo Werner would have been a good player to have in if if he was available, but but uh, he wasn't. Um, so yeah, I think you know dropping him. There's been a report of uh, finding him half a million quid, which is two weeks' wages basically. Um, I think that and dropping him from a game which might sting a bit is is about right. But ultimately, you can't really. Uh, just completely bin him off after uh, a couple of months, even though what he did was was completely uh, out of line. But what you're gonna do? You're gonna you still want to win things, and he's he's gonna be central to picking up those those wins that will bring Chelsea some consistency back. It certainly doesn't seem like everything is right at Chelsea at the moment. There are rumours about Antonio Rudiger's and Andreas Christensen's futures as well, both stalling on new contracts. They are unlikely to leave in January. It's probably going to be summer moves for them if they do move. But we're going to talk about some of those January transfer window moves next. The window is open and we'll wrap up some of the most interesting transfers next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. The transfer window is open and we're expecting a fair bit of movement in this window from Newcastle, if from no one else. And that's exactly where we're going to start with the Daily Express reporting that Newcastle were about to make their first signing of the big money era. And no shock that that first signing is looking like it's Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid. It's been rumoured for a while now. No shock that that's the player coming in. Potentially a bit of a shock that it's going to cost Newcastle 25 million quid. Marley, you've said before you're happy with the player. Are you happy with the price tag? Uh, well, if it's 25 million, yeah, because I thought it was higher. <laughs> I thought okay. it was higher than that. So, But I, that's that's one of the question marks. I, I don't know what the, the fee is. Um, if it's in the 20s, that's fine. Even though he's 32, you're paying for sort of... Um, the the reputation that he's that he's had before this is an England international, uh, La Liga winner. You know he's been at the top of the game. He's played in the biggest games, um, ever. You know he's played in Champions League finals and and World Cup, uh, sorry Euros finals and things like that. So, um, the price isn't really a thing for me. You know, ultimately we've got a, a bottomless pit of money. What is twenty five thirty million for a thirty two year old? It doesn't really matter. If you've got the money, spend it. It's not my money. I don't care. So if you if you know if you've got that cash flaunt it you know it's fine um and if he's if he's only good for 2 years then but if you I mean the main thing is is he help is he going to help you right now yeah of course he is he's played it in the premier league he's going to come straight back in into the team he's got no real competition at right back um because all our right backs are crap um 
and he's just going to come straight into the team and, and improve us. So that's what you pay the money for. Um, you pay him for the experience. You pay him for the the nous, the the influence in the dressing room, the the off pitch benefits as well as the on pitch benefits. Um, the likes of other players looking at Kieran Trippier and going, well, if he's going, that's quite a big um, statement. So I might be more open to going in in the coming transfer windows. So it's, I think it's a good place to start your business because it'll have more than one sort of win to this, even though the fee might be arguably too high for a 31, 32-year-old fullback. It's interesting you say you don't care about the money because there's definitely two schools of thoughts from fans. Some get really held, hung up on transfer fees and others have the attitude that you've got. Particularly we saw this at Manchester City back in the day. It's like, well... What do I care about the money we're spending? It's not coming out of my wallet. But I guess Newcastle now, Niall, are in a situation where they're not going to get cheap deals. They're going to be paying over the odds for players because other clubs know they've got money. And we saw this week Lille, apparently, they've been quoting £30 to Newcastle for the 21-year-old centre-back Sven Botman. But now they've gone, actually, now we don't want to sell him at all. I assume to potentially bait a bigger offer from Newcastle. So they're going to be held to ransom. It's just the way it is because they've got a load of money. Yeah, absolutely. And they're desperate because they're in the relegation zone and they need some players. So everyone knows the situation that Newcastle are in. And it wasn't quite like that when, at least as far as I remember, when Manchester City first got taken over. And the first real big signing was on that final day of the transfer window back in 2008 for Man City when they paid £32 for Rubinho. And that was the real big signing because they signed him from Real Madrid, I think it was. And he was the big name player who was meant to go to Chelsea. They even had the names printed on the back of the shirts in the Stamford Bridge club shop. And then he makes a move to Manchester City. And, you know, 32 and a half million for a club who had barely spent 10, 15 million before that, uh, before the takeover, was a real eye-watering amount of money. Manchester City fans, I'm sure, thinking back now, couldn't really believe that they had spent that much money on a player. But... As Marley says, Newcastle are the richest team. I mean, the money's immaterial to them. And it's it's something that they're going to have to, to stomach, really. They're going to have to deal with the fact that they are going to get rinsed for the first couple of years. And it's up to them to build their infrastructure uh, and invest in the infrastructure. Because Manchester City paying £100 million for Jack Grealish is the most they've ever paid for a player in the, what what is it now, 15 years or whatever since they've been taken over. So... You have to think that before that, the most they'd ever played, paid for a player was around 60 million. And they've signed a few players here and there for 50 million. But when you think of Manchester City, you don't think of them being rinsed season after season after season for transfers. Because generally, nine times out of ten, they get it absolutely spot on. You know, even in recent arrangements with that Ferran Torres deal and him going back to Barcelona, they spent £55 million, pounds, or sorry, they signed him and then they've sold him for £55 million to Barcelona. Came for a year, thanks Ferran, don't want to stay, see you later. And there's no fuss with Man City. The only time that there's been fuss has been with Harry Kane. And it's taken them 10, 15 years to get into that position. And Newcastle just might have to take the same approach. If they can build the infrastructure, get the scouting right and really be first class in that department then they can find the hidden gems, they can find the Bernardo Silvers, they can find players that aren't really a a top value in terms of the fee that's paid for them and they can bring them in and they can make a huge difference to Newcastle's team. But at the moment, they're not in that position. At the moment, they are in the position of the early days of Man City where they might have to spend £32 million to bring a player in like Rubinho. The difference is in this situation, Newcastle are in the relegation zone and if you are going to sign a player, you have to convince them that if Newcastle do drop to the championship, that it's worth sticking around because we're going to come straight back up. And as we know, there's no guarantees. You'd expect Newcastle to do that if they do get relegated because they've done it the last two times they've dropped down. But it's it's a tricky one because they need players. They need players that fit the system. They need infrastructure. And the Saudis have bought effectively what was a, a threadbare football club. It was almost a, a shell of a football club that, you know, the kind of the outer skeleton was there of an operating football club but the the Saudis need to come in and build the flesh and put the muscle on the bones because you know with the way Mike Ashley ran things at St James's Park it it was very much we'll do the bare minimum and I think that that's been reflected on the pitch in recent years and that is something that the Saudis will need to change so you know we talk about who's going to come in will it be Kieran Trippier will it be Botman for 30 million quid from Lille I think it doesn't really matter I think whoever does come in needs to then come into a club in which is moving in the right direction which I'm sure it is behind the scenes because I think there's far more work to be done infrastructurally 
than in terms of the immediate effects on the pitch. There's no, there's nothing to suggest that signing Trippier and Botman this window for a combined total of 60 million quid is going to keep them in the Premier League. So it's a, it's a tough one for, for the fans. It's a tough one for Eddie Howe. And it's something that the new owners are going to have to figure out. But I think it's, it's more important to put those structures in place so that when we get to the transfer windows in the future Newcastle don't get rinsed as much in terms of the cash and they can afford to pick up players for a decent fee who are going to improve the team exponentially so that for me is is important as, as anything else this this window really. It's interesting you mentioned the relegation clauses because I think one of the sticking points with Kieran Trippier's signing has been what happens if Newcastle are relegated as a 32 year old you don't want to spend a season in the championship. You want to continue playing the top flight football as long as you can. Let's move to West Ham, who are looking to sign Gabriel Barbosa from Flamengo. He's now 25 years. This is according to, sorry, now 25 years old. That's according to Sky Sports. Now, West Ham have been linked with Gabriel Barbosa, or he's been linked with another Premier League club since his 20s, since he was kind of 21 and looked like a hot Brazilian prospect. No one's taken a punt yet on this player, Marley. Does that illustrate how much of a risk it is? Because he has done well in South America, but as we've seen many, many times before, banging in the goals in South America doesn't necessarily mean you can come to the Premier League and bang in the goals. Uh, no, uh, I suppose. He, I mean, he has been in Europe. Um, Inter, Inter signed him a few years ago um, as a as a 20, 21-year-old, something like that. Um, and he was... He didn't get that many chances, if we're being honest. I think he scored one. Well, on, uh, on his Wikipedia, he got one in nine in the league. So, but he's been on loan um, back in Brazil. He's, he's, you know, if the last time he came to Europe, he was a kid basically. Um, now he's twenty five. If you're going to take the step up into into Europe, you know, it, it, why not? It has to be now, really. Um, you're not gonna. If you stay to in Brazil when you till you're 28, 27, 28, you know the, the, your chances of coming to the biggest leagues in the world are going to diminish big time. Um, and he scored tons of goals in 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 Brazil. He's got a good record for uh, for Brazil as well, five in seventeen for Brazil, which isn't too bad. Um, Forty two in sixty for, for for Flamengo, who are the best team pretty much in Brazil, uh, or one of them up there with Atlético Mineiro teams like that, but. He's uh he's he's a decent player, but it's hard to to judge him on 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 stuff when we don't really know how good he is. He's sort of a penalty box striker, um, you know, good with both feet, good, decent in the air for his height, um, quick but not not overly physical. So I I I'm not sure about West Ham being the perfect place for him. If I'm honest, I, I feel like he would want to go to a bigger club than West Ham. Um, someone like a Chelsea or, or even an Arsenal, for example, if Arsenal needs a new striker, um, would they would they take a chance on him? I'm not sure, but West Ham are linked. I think I've heard Newcastle linked as well. Um, can't see him come into Newcastle, of course, but um, can maybe see him being more tempted by London. The this amazing aurora, uh, this pull of London that no none of us get. <laughs> maybe he fancies that a bit more, but I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I. I would hold a few reservations about him, but I still think he's worth a gamble on. It depends on the price, I suppose. But his his record can't go unnoticed. But if you're gonna if you're gonna have to have that step up, it has to be soon. Maybe West Ham not the right club for him, Niall. But is he the right player potentially for West Ham? Is this the kind of transfer they should be looking at? Bargains from South American leagues, or go back to the Czech Republic, or? Should the focus of David Moyes, considering it's a January transfer signing and he needs them to make an impact instantly, should it be the players like Lucas Dean and Jesse Lingard that they've been linked with already this window, those proven Premier League talents that we know can make an impact instantly? Well, yeah, I don't think Jesse Lingard's a bad shout at all because of the impact he made in a six-month loan spell exactly a year ago where he went and joined West Ham United on loan and you know nearly got West Ham into the Champions League. And I think the fans would happily welcome him back. He's comfortable there. He can easily come back and slot back into the team. The players that he'll have around him are 95% of the same group that he played with last season. So I think those are the signings for me that West Ham should probably be looking at, um, especially considering the mentality they've got in the group you need to bring people in who are able to fit into that. And, you know, you think about players that have been signed, 
relatively unknown players that have been signed by West Ham in recent seasons. I mean, Haller, that didn't work out. Pablo Fornells, it's t- taken him a season or two to really settle into life at West Ham. When when I first saw Fornells, it looked like he'd never met any of his teammates and he was just chucked into the into the group and said, come on, perform. And it, and it, it doesn't work like that, um, especially in difficult times, moving to the middle of the pandemic. I mean, I mentioned Ferran Torres a few minutes ago and one of the reasons he cited moving back to Barcelona was he didn't feel like he could experience the best of Manchester moving to a new club in the middle of a pandemic. And I've also mentioned Timo Werner and Kai Havertz at Chelsea, two German lads who moved to London in the middle of uh, of coronavirus. And it was almost as if they were not able to settle in fully and that affected their performances on the pitch. But in terms of the South American thing, you know, uh, Javier Mascherano and Carlos Tevez didn't work out too badly, did it? They turned out to be half decent players and you know, when you see that photo of those two stood next to Alan Pardew with West Ham shirts in their hands, it seems a bit weird now looking back <laughs> that Alan Pardew is in between those two players. It turned out to be really good. It felt so, weird at the time. <laughs> well, it still feels weird now. Um, it doesn't feel weird to hear Mullins. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's one of those where, you know, Tevez and Mascherano did pretty good. And they settled in straight away to Manchester uh, to life at West Ham, sorry. And they ended up getting moves to Liverpool and Manchester United, two of the biggest clubs in the country. Mascherano went on to play and win Champions Leagues. Tevez went on to have a, a brilliant career at a number of different clubs. So there's nothing to suggest uh, that this could end up a similar situation to bringing in South Americans to the Premier League. But um, we've seen so many come through the doors and be brilliant. We've also seen a few come and be terrible. Um, but you have to trust the scouting team at West Ham United. So I guess the question is, Jim, do you trust the scouting team at West Ham United to pick the right players? Because since you've been signing Czech players, that seems to have worked out pretty well. So the track record at the moment is decent for West Ham. Do Jim, I trust Jim the why don't you just team? go for go for Patrick Schick? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know you say you say that with a smile in your voice? He has been linked. There is a potential for him to be joining West Ham as well, along with other couple of other Premier League teams that are looking at him. Apparently, um, right. Let's move on. One more Football Insider reporting that Nathan Patterson, the twenty-year-old Scottish right back, is set for a medical at Everton. Uh, I've forgotten to write down the team he's coming from. I think he's playing for Rangers at the moment, isn't he? Is that right? Yeah. Rangers, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I thought so. Right, price tag quoted is between twelve to sixteen million for him. Good potential addition to the Everton squad now. Well, he's certainly someone who's impressed for Rangers. Um, and you talk about Newcastle and them being the ones that you know need to splash the cash. Everton have been busy already. Um, I found this really interesting. I was having a debate with my brother. Actually, we watched some football the other day. And uh, he was like, oh, I feel sorry for Rafa Benitez. I said, why? And he said, oh, he's, you know, he's got this group of players to work with. He needs to be backed, etc., etc." But it, it seems like every club Rafa Benitez is at, it's never his fault. Why can't Rafa Benitez be blamed for how bad Everton have been? Fundamentally, he's the manager. Fundamentally, he's the manager. I mean, Jermaine Genus was on Match of the Day saying... These players, they don't look like they know what they're doing. They look like they have no energy. They look like completely lost. And, um, you know, they don't look like a Rafa Benitez team. Uh, Why didn't you just say all of those things are the responsibility of the manager and it's Rafa Benitez's issue and he needs to sort it out? Not, oh, it don't look like a Rafa team. If that was another manager, I can think of a couple who would have been absolutely hammered by pundits if their teams had played in the way that Everton have played recently. So... Um, I do think Rafa sometimes gets a bit of a free pass. I don't know why. Um, it, maybe it's just an unconscious bias thing because even my brother was like, oh, I feel sorry for Rafa. I was like, why? He's, he's done a rubbish job at Everton so far. With the tools he's had to work with, he's not done a great job. But, you know, he's, done, he's, done, he's got better players than he had at Newcastle and he did all right there. So, you know, I think that's one thing. And with Everton... Um, you know, they've signed a couple of players, they've been busy. And I think the, the, the thinking is to back Rafa Benitez. They can't keep sacking managers at Everton because it's just not it's not tangible. It's not feasible for them. They have to keep paying them off and it just isn't working. Um, Ancelotti left, went back to Real Madrid. Benitez has come in and the players he's been able to sign in the summer were Andros Townsend, I think, on a free transfer and a couple of other players that aren't really um, ones to write home about. They've also signed a random Ukrainian defender I think I'm thinking uh, in the transfer window since it's opened they've made a couple of signings already um, 
and now it looks like they've that you know they could be in line to make a, another couple of signings and it's always recruitment when we talk about Everton it's always the same thing you know we say this every January Everton need to spend money I mean Everton fans should be thinking oh, I can't wait to get to a January where we don't have to think about spending money and strengthening the squad I mean every play, every fan wants better players at their football club but it's not sustainable for Everton to keep on going and spending 15 20 30 40 million on a player here and there every January it's just it's just crazy so um they need to nail it at some point and the last time they did was with the transfer window with Ancelotti where they brought in Alan um who who was excellent uh, Decore's been all right um obviously James Rodriguez was a was a busted flush so you know it's happening far too often for Everton and with the new stadium on the horizon, they want European football. They're not going to get it playing like this. They need better players. And, you know, if it means that bringing in a random Ukrainian is going to help them, then that's excellent. Because West Ham, we mentioned them, they did it with the Czech players and everyone said, oh, who are these guys? And they've come in and they've been a revelation. So so maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the route that Everton are taking, trying to find the value rather than buying, it, buying you know, well-established, fully-fledged um, international footballers. But... But yeah, it's, it's 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 hard to tell really because we've seen Scottish players come down from that league and perform. Someone like Andy Robertson, who went to Hull City and then signed for Liverpool and, and has been absolutely brilliant. Osson Edward hasn't been half bad since coming down from Celtic, playing for Crystal Palace this season. And there are a number of other examples. Um, but also it, it is a step up from the Scottish Premiership to the Premier League. Will it be enough to improve Everton? Uh, possibly. Quite possibly. So we'll have to wait and see. But I think there's a deeper question when it comes to Everton and, and their recruitment and their policies over the last few years because, you know, Marcel Brands is now gone. And this is, I think, quite a defining transfer window for Rafa Benitez because due to his links with Liverpool and the way the Toffees have started the season, he's going to be afforded less time than maybe some other managers. Sounds like Everton are poised to win the transfer window once again. Good for them. Right, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. We are done. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest news and views from the Premier League. So make sure you hit subscribe, click follow. Make sure you get the latest episode as soon as it's ready. And if you want more football news, head to sport-social.co.uk. We'll see you next time. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.